The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SumaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Sumax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-offline lithium and button cell batteries. Sumax Batteries competes in quality and well-known national brands, and the best part, Sumax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke lamps, whatever device you need a battery for, Sunmax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of Ultra Alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices, at just $12.99. And it gets better than that because you can order today and use one code BOSTON, that's one code BOSTON, all uppercase, and save 20% off your entire order. So those batteries that were already so cheap, $5.99, $12.99, they're already cheaper, $4.80 for 24 AA or AAA batteries. Head over to SunMaxBatteries.com, use that coupon code BOSTON, all uppercase, to check out and say big today. SunMaxBatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X Batteries.com the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're doing a Patriots training camp preview of sorts with 98.5, the Sports Hub personality, host of the Stats Over Storylines podcast, which you can be sure to go over right now while you listen to this podcast. Just head into your podcast app, go over and subscribe to that podcast. And one of the best follows on Boston Sports Twitter, Tucker Boynton. Tucker, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me on. So obviously, the big news across the NFL is all of these opt-outs. And who knows, by the time this comes out, there might even be even more. But right now, uh, the latest one we saw was Matt Lacoste, uh, who was the eighth Patriot to opt-out. He gets added on to Marquise Lee, Dante Hightower, Danny Vitale, Marcus Cannon. So a lot of Patriots opting out of the season for 2020 and Bill Belichick came out and he said that is their decision he respects it 100% uh, so we're going to try to do this preseason preview training camp preview as normal as we possibly can in light of the fact that those guys are going to be missing I do want to ask you about training camp and the preseason because in terms of preseason games there are none the NFLPA negotiated so that there would be no preseason games in 2020 and I want to know what kind of impact you think that's going to have on the season yeah I mean Look, from the owner's perspective, I think it's just another way to put money in their pockets, sell more tickets, sell more merchandise, more game broadcasts, all that stuff. Um, from a player perspective, I can totally understand why they wouldn't want to do it um, because for the most part, rosters are solidified before those preseason games. And in fact, I think there are plenty of coaches who would argue that um, they get plenty of uh, looks in practice at what players can do. Um, so I'm not sure what the sort of real game impact is. Um, you might end up with fewer uh, UDFAs on active rosters just because they don't have the same opportunity to prove themselves. But in large part, I wouldn't expect it to be a major impact. I think it's really just um, a bargaining chip between the owners and the NFLPA, given that the NFLPA wants to protect the player safety. Um, the owners want to make as much money as they possibly can. So naturally you have this sort of tug of war. Um, so I see it as a bargaining chip. I don't see it as anything that's going to really substantially impact uh, on-field performance. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I didn't even think of that, that. That's kind of unfortunate for those undrafted guys who maybe won't get the stage or the chance to, to shine the way they have in years past. So, I mean, it's a lot of guys who came out this year are, are going to be hit by that. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love preseason games. I loved seeing Jacoby Myers last season. I loved Demary the Demarius Thomas game in the last game where he had those two touchdowns. It was all very enjoyable, even if it's ultimately immaterial to the actual season for the most part. But, 
you know, I didn't have a problem with this. I think they're ultimately not a requirement. You know, they, they might help t players, but, you know, to use a word that's been thrown around a lot here in the last few months, I don't think they're essential. So, uh, you know, cut the extra travel, cut the extra interaction between players. You just don't need it. They, they don't do it in college, and the product is still really good there. You know, am I concerned about injuries? Sure, but injuries are inevitable no matter what. Uh, you know, I almost feel like I'd rather have a player get injured in a game that matters, you know, in the regular season than a game that doesn't because, right. you know, we've seen these Julian Edelman or Jordy Nelson preseason game injuries and th they massively change a season and it's frustrating for fans and teams. So, you know, you see what I'm saying? So I I'm actually generally for this, for cutting all the preseason games for all those reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think from a player perspective, we've seen all of this stuff happening in the game recently. You see... Uh, increased penalties on defensive players who are making dangerous hits on receivers um, and other offensive players. You see fewer practices, uh, you know, less mandatory um, time devoted to team events before the season begins. It's all shrinking down to protect the player. And I think if you're a fan of the sport, you have to like that. You don't, you don't really get that much benefit out of um, the practice that goes on. And I think that health professionals and coaches alike are starting to see that it's actually more likely to get high performance if you don't wear out these players' bodies, excuse me, before uh, and in between the game. So I, I agree. I think, you know, it's not going to make a difference for the star players. And if there are fewer injuries, um, fluke situations that ruin fantasy football teams and actual football teams, I, I, I have no problem with it. I actually like it. I will be interested to see if these, you know, morning shows come in and focus on the quality of play and blame it on the no preseason games like early on in the season because I think we're going to see good and bad games every week no matter what. And I wonder like will they focus on those bad games and blame it on there being no preseason? And who knows? I mean, there'll probably be a couple injuries. And I feel like that's normal, you know, like we just talked mentioned the the Edelman and, and Nelson ones and they'll say, "Well, what if they had a preseason?" Well, they could have easily gotten injured in preseason. So, you know, uh, I I'll touch on now Joe Tooney. I want to move on to him because um, you know, obviously we passed the deadline here for him to get an extension. So uh, he'd have to play the season out on the tag no matter what and then hit free agency next offseason. They could tag him again. That's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, there's an interesting thing here because just recently the Chiefs guard uh, stepped out. I think Dwayne Tardif, I think that's how you say his name. But he stepped out, and I think that, that got my kind of gears turning as in maybe there might be an opportunity for a trade here. Obviously not with the Chiefs because they just went out and signed Kalecio Semele, which is actually a pretty good replacement. Yeah. But, you know, what if we see another offensive lineman pull out here? And, and especially if it's for a contending team, Tooney's kind of perfect for that situation because he's a guy on a one-year deal, your player's pulling out for one year. You know, it's a perfect mercenary kind of situation for him to come in and fill that hole for the player who opted out and then, you know, get things back to normal the year after. So, I mean, is that worth a second-round pick for a team out there? I don't know. I mean, is it worth it for the Patriots? Uh, I, you know, I don't you know. We'll have to see. But I think as far as, like, a situation playing out like that and maybe opening up an opportunity for a trade, like, there, there are more opportunities for a trade path to, to open up here as players, you know, make these decisions of whether they want to play or not this season. Yeah, there are definitely more paths uh, open for trades. I think a lot of it depends on what kind of offensive line talent the Patriots can develop on their end. Um, they've invested a lot of high picks and offensive linemen uh, just last year, a third-round pick in Yadni Kajust uh, and Froholt the following round. Um, you know, whether Tooney plays guard or tackle, I don't know, but I think what it really comes down to is how solid do the Patriots feel on their end. They've never had a problem with letting – 
offensive linemen and offensive tackles walk if they feel like they have plenty um, behind them. I, I tweeted this out earlier today, uh, looking at this the whole Trent Brown situation, right? They didn't draft Trent Brown, but acquired him in a trade, turned him into one of the best tackles in the league um, in 2018, and then opted not to sign him to that mega contract, let him walk. They did the same thing with Nate Solder after franchise tagging him. Um, and so far, that has paid off, um, that strategy, but only because they have capable offensive linemen behind those guys. Um, so I, I come back to the point of what do you have behind Tooney? And I think that's going to dictate what the decision, what happens with the decision. Because if Can ends out and, you know, David Andrews is supposed to be good to go, but we know he's got that blood problem. And can they develop their talent that they've drafted in the last couple of years on the offensive line? Um, how necessary is Tooney? Uh, because we've seen them let offensive linemen walk and have no problem. But I think that is contingent on the fact that they had very capable people uh, lined up and ready to go behind those offensive linemen. And they had Dante Scarnecchia, who is no longer there either. Yeah, and, and you bring up Trent Brown, and I think that, that you know gets me thinking that it's interesting how the Patriots are going to have to sell this trade to a team I think that, you know, it's pretty easy to say, hey, you know, yeah, you're giving up a second round pick, which is a lot for a guy on one year, but you're going to be getting the comp pick for this. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're really getting, it's really us trading Thune and a future third round pick for a second round pick. So, you know, you can sell it like that and say, hey, you know, you're, you're not getting totally screwed here by giving up a second round pick. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I still think that, that that even makes the Patriots think twice about trading them because like you said, if they have guys backing out on the offensive line, do you really want to trade Tooney and deplete yourself even more and you know that's stuff that's going to play out here in the next few weeks and we'll see what ultimately comes of that but uh, you know it's it's going to be interesting to see what they decide there um what do you think the chances are right now that Joe Tooney is on the team in 2021 for that season because that he isn't traded and they they reach an agreement on an extension next offseason because they do have all this cap space supposedly next year so even if you don't want to pay two guards as much as they're going to have to pay those guys they should have the cap flexibility for it and if there's no one else in free agency to use it on or that they can use it on, then the, the door's at least open there for Thune to return. Yeah, I mean, I, well, the interesting thing that sticks out to me, I, I don't know about a sort of a percentage chance. I, I think it's pretty hard to tell at this point. Um, but their use of the franchise tag throughout the years, they use it very seldomly. Um, and they use it strategically as well. The last time they used it was on kicker Steven Goskowski, who then signed a multi-year extension. Um, but then... Before that, you go to Wes Welker, who departed in free agency and obviously went to Denver. Um, and then Mankins, before that, signed a multi-year extension. So, I don't know. They've been willing to pay players, you know, whom they believe um, have the capability to help the team. Um, but it's just sort of an evaluation of talent standpoint, right? Everybody likes to talk about the Patriots being frugal. They don't like to pay their guys, whatever, whatever. But that's not actually entirely true. I mean, they, they've shelled out for good players in the past. Um, and oftentimes they're right when they do it. Um, they gave McCourty a big extension a few years ago um, that many people thought would be rotten by the end of the deal, kind of an albatross. But it turned out to be a great deal. They did it for Gilmore. Um, they did it for Mankins. They've never been afraid to sign the good players to multi-year extensions. So I think there's a decent chance that they can't find a trade partner um, that they sign uh, Tooney to a to a longer extension, um, I think in that sort of Mankins mold. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't try to sort of venture a percentage guess um, because again, I think it depends a lot on 
um, what happens with the offensive talent in the offensive line this season. And I think some of it is going to be Tooney's this desire to stay in New England, his willingness to take probably an undermarket deal, because I really can't see them giving him like 13, 14 a year. And I think some other team out there will. Like, I think there are teams that desperate for offensive line help. You know, we've seen these contracts be thrown up before. Andrew Norwell is a guy that we've talked about a lot here in New England with to- in relation to Tooney, because he's the guy who set the market for, for guards recently in these recent years. So I think that plays into it huge. And I think it's interesting what you bring up about the franchise tag, because I was going through the same kind of, you know, machinations in my head in, in February because I was like, should I write an article about, you know, sh- should the Patriots franchise tag Joe Thune or will they franchise tag Joe Thune? And I was think- like, thinking the same things, going through all the same stuff about they never use it. Should I, is this even worth writing? Like, I, and I decided to write it anyway. And I, you know, ended up looking pretty good on the other side because they end up actually going through it and doing it. And I, you know, it was funny because I went through the same thing with Cam Newton and I came out on the other end of that. I was like, I shouldn't write this. I shouldn't write about why they should sign Cam Newton. And I, I you know, I regretted that one. So, uh, you know, but yeah, the, the Thuny thing will, will be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know, I, I would like to see them chase a, a big fish with that cap space, whether it's, you know, Keenan Allen is another guy like the Chargers are going to have to choose. They have, I don't think they'll tag Hunter Henry. They just did this past offseason. They're not going to do that again. You know, one of those guys might hit the market. Uh, Allen Robinson's another guy that's available. Yannick Ngakwe, although I don't know how he'd fit here quite. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a, a Thune extension. They have the money to spend. They could, you know, have their cake and eat it too in that regard with a Thune extension and get a big name. So, you know, I, I just like to see it spent elsewhere first and some of those names I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, offensive line obviously isn't the flashiest sort of big name spending, but I would say it's... Uh, one of the top three, probably behind the quarterback, most impactful positional spending, especially tackle. Um, and you mentioned cap space. They have the third most cap space right now, heading into 2021. And there are so many question marks. I was talking about this with a friend of mine. Um, there's just so much unknown going into this Patriots season. What happens with Cam Newton? If he has a big year, what happens next year, right? It's a one-year ex- one year deal. So do they extend him? Do they tag him? How does that all work out? Um, you just have so many question marks here that I think, you know, at this point, it's kind of hard to speculate on the 2021 off season because, you know, the strength of Cam Newton's play could relate directly to how important Tooney is to that offensive line. Whereas if you have more of a pure pocket passer and Jarrett Stidham is mobile, but if Stidham ends up back there and is throwing a lot of passes from the pocket, then, you know, maybe Tooney becomes more important. So I think, with all of the question marks, it's pretty hard to speculate. I'd love to see them go out and spend on a big free agent. I think that'd be, you know, exciting. I've always loved Allen Robinson. I think he's been a victim of his circumstances uh, in a lot of situations. But it'll be a fun offseason nonetheless because they are going to have uh, cap space to spend after the 2020 season. Awesome, yeah. And I also want to switch now to Julian Edelman because he has a kind of a big milestone coming up this season potentially. He's kind of on the verge of passing Wes Welker for most reception in Patriots history. Wes Welker's number one at 672, and Edelman's 599. So he only needs 73 to get there. I would assume he's going to get there. You know, a lot will depend on the play of Cam Newton, on the offense they're going with, his health, you know, his age, you know, whether or not he regresses there. But that's a number that Julian Edelman, based on what we saw last year, should be able to hit. Um, And it's a topic that, you know, gets me thinking about the whole thing with Edelman and Welker all together. Who do you think is, is better? Who would you favor? Because I think a lot of fans are partial to Julian Edelman because he didn't have that sour relationship at the end, at least not yet. Well, you know, we'll see what happens at the end, but I don't think it's going to turn out the way Welker's turned out. 
and he won a couple Super Bowls here. So that's obviously the, the biggest thing. He made that huge catch in the Super Bowl, obviously, that everybody loves. Um, so, you know, but when you really look at it, I know you're, you know, you go stats over storylines. And a lot of the stuff I just mentioned with Edelman is storylines. So who would you pick kind of in, in the history of, of the Patriots if you had to take one of these receivers? Who are you taking? I, I mean, anybody who follows me knows I'm a big Wes Welker fan. I don't think Welker gets his due uh, because of, you know, a number of reasons. The majority of those being uh, a tiny, tiny snapshot of what Wes Welker's career was. Um, I think people have a tendency to forget just how productive Welker was uh, in just, you know, six years with the franchise. You're talking about a guy who played from 2007 to 2012, and, and it took – Edelman from 2009 to 2020, if he does it, uh, 11 years versus six, that's almost two times as long. Um, I, I would take Welker. Um, I just think he's more productive. He's been better um, over time and especially at his peak. I don't think there were you know, many people better than Welker at his peak in terms of the slot receiver position. Um, in fact, tar- Brady targeting Welker uh, has a higher passer rating in the regular season and in the playoffs. So I'm taking Welker. I understand sort of the um, storyline aspect with Edelman. I don't. I agree. You can't tell the story of the New England Patriots in the second half of the dynasty without Julian Edelman. Uh, he was so big in so many big games, but production-wise, numerically, he doesn't really even come close to stacking up to Welker. Um, just to give you some numbers here, you look at targeting Brady targeting Welker versus Brady targeting targeting Edelman. Welker has actually fewer receptions from Brady, uh, but as a Patriot overall, including the 2008 season with Matt Castle, he caught more passes. So that's why, you know, he's still whatever, 73 receptions ahead of Edelman. But Tom Brady's pass rating targeting Wes Welker is nearly 12 points higher uh, than when he targets Julian Edelman. I just think um, Welker was a machine and it's easy to get lost in sort of that those years were championship lists, but he was important in 2007. Uh, he was integral in 2010 and 2011 when the emergence of Gronk was happening. So I would take Welker myself, um, but I would not expect the majority of Patriots fans to agree with me just because of sort of, you know, the, the rings conversation and Super Bowl MVP, which I really don't value that heavily, especially when it comes to wide receiver. Yeah, you know, I think that I'd never run this poll, but I'd venture to guess it, it lands somewhere in the 80-20 range in favor of Julian Edelman, just because of, you know, all, all the things we've mentioned here already. But, uh, you know, in terms of, I, I don't know if this is going to give me a different answer, but I want to ask it anyway, because I think it's an interesting question. Who do you think Brady would take? Because he ha- he's had a pretty good relationship with both. You know, he's thrown with Welker even after he left the team and when, when he was kind of in, in retirement, even though I, I guess he pseudo didn't retire yet. He didn't retire for a few years after he was signed. But even still, who do you think he would favor? Because, I mean, he has a great relationship with both. He's had success with both, more so with Edelman uh, in terms of winning, more so with Welker in terms of statistical achievements. So who do you think he would take if he had to pick? You know, I think Brady values... Um sort of personal relationships and trust. We saw it, we've seen that with receivers early on. It takes a while for him to get in the comfort zone with um, particular receivers. I think he probably has a closer relationship. In fact, I would I would bet quite a bit of money that he has a closer, bit of, closer relationship with Julian Edelman than he does with Wes Walker. But I, I, I think, yeah, you know, I think he'd probably take Edelman just because of the emotional impact and how long they've played together. But in terms of peak performance, if you asked him, you know, in a single year, 
who do you feel more comfortable and you you take him in the middle of that Welker run in 2010 or whatever, you know, I think he'd probably say he was more comfortable in that period. But overall, I think he would probably choose Edelman. One other thing to help your side of the argument on this is if, if you look at Wes Welker's playoff game log, right, and his catch percentage, his career catch percentage is 71%. And in nine of his 13 playoff games, he had a catch percentage of over 75%. So he was playing. He played well in these playoff games. Like you look at, you know, some of these games. Uh, and in two thousand eight, this one was against. Uh, this was in, obviously in the run to the Super Bowl against Jacksonville. He had nine receptions on ten targets uh, against the Giants in in Super Bowl. This was actually the Super Bowl where he had that one drop, seven receptions on eight targets. So he caught everything in that game that was thrown to him, except that one catch that obviously stands out in everybody's minds. And you look at some of the, his other best games. He had eleven catches in uh, against the Giants in two thousand eight. Uh, for that, you know, that in that game. So he was great in a lot of these games, and he was key, and he played well. They just didn't come through as a team. So I, and I think a lot of blame gets put on Welker for these losses and him not and him not winning a Super Bowl. I think he gets a ton of bashing, and when it's really, you know, I guess that one catch you can point to and say maybe they would have won that game, but a lot of it isn't his fault. He played well in the playoffs, and I think that the idea that he's not clutch, he didn't come through in those moments is kind of false. He, you know, if you look at the numbers, he did. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time looking at this stuff, and nobody was better than Peak Welker out of the slot. I mean, many would argue that he created the slot position. Uh, is the only reason that Edelman really exists. Um, and I love Edelman. I love Edelman, and I love what he's contributed to this dynasty, but I just think West Welker is a better football player. Yeah, and it's tough because... You know, with the fact that they've won so many Super Bowls, right? They won, won six. It stands out that they didn't win Malik Welker, even more so. Like, if you if a guy comes into your organization, doesn't win a Super Bowl, like for another team, and a team that's you know not winning it at the rate the Patriots are winning it, he doesn't get remembered the way Welker gets remembered because there's all these Super Bowls surrounding him, and he didn't win one, and now he gets this kind of he gets painted as a loser, you know, and it's it's you know a tough tough break for Welker, but you know now you look back in the vein of Patriots history. He's not going to be remembered fondly, which is really a shame because he was that good. You're right, and it's just it's a terrible thing. All right, let's get into the regular season a little bit. We're going to preview that just a bit here at the end. I just want you to handicap the division because obviously in recent days we've had the Jamal Adams news come. He gets traded. Honestly, a pretty good return for the Jets. I know a lot of people really like the fact that they got McDougal back. They got two first-round picks on top of it. That, that was a huge haul to give it for the Seahawks, although I don't totally hate it for Seattle just because... They usually don't hit in the first round, and they have had so much success in those later rounds with Lockett and Wilson and all these guys, and I don't know how much of that you want to say. It's a little fluky. You can't repeat that, and how much of it is really the scouting because it's really all over the place with the draft, but they have consistently had a history of hitting in those later rounds, so I kind of trust that. But but I guess what were your thoughts on that trade, first of all, and then how would you handicap the division uh, this season with the Jets making the moves they made, their team, the Bills, and the Dolphins? Yeah, well, as for the trade, um, I mean, New York got an absolute haul back for a guy who didn't clearly didn't want to be there. Um, I think they did a great job trading for it. I would tend to say, and I hate doing the who won or lost the trade, um, but I would tend to say that Seattle overpaid a little bit um, here, giving two two first rounders for uh, a guy on a rookie contract who has not yet signed his extension. They're going to have to open up the checkbook for him if they want to keep him there. Um, and so I think New York comes out looking better on this one. Um, not necessarily for this coming year, but uh, but in terms of the lo- long-term, sort of longer look at 
what happens as this the assets of this trade unfold. I think New York comes out looking really good. With that said, I have believed, you know, for a while that the, the sure thing, the known superstar uh, is always significantly more valuable than the possibility of that. Um, and so could Adams make a big impact on that Seattle defense and could they go on and win the Super Bowl and make the trade worth it? Sure. I'm not saying that's impossible. Um, but I think in the long run, the Jets will be happy with what they got back. Um, it definitely softens up the division a little bit for the Patriots and with the, the playoff restructure, um, which doesn't really put as much pressure on the Patriots to finish first in the division. Um, I think that the Patriots are happy with their prospects going in. How far can they go in the playoffs? I don't know, but I would definitely pick them to make the playoffs. I think their main challenge, uh, as I'm sure you would guess, is going to be the Bills. That defense is uh, just really, really good. They're tough to play in Buffalo. I think if Josh Allen takes a step forward, they have Stephon Diggs now. Uh, you know, I think the Bills are the sort of, not necessarily the team to beat, given that they finished um, second in the AFC East. The Patriots are still sort of that team to knock off. But um, I think the Bills are definitely that second team in the division. The Jets and Dolphins will probably be in the cellar again this year. Um, I, I don't even really know where the Dolphins are going. I don't have a lot of uh, confidence in uh, Sam Darnold for the Jets, but um, it's going to be a two-horse race, I think, between the Patriots and the Bills, uh, and that's going to make those head-to-head matchups all the more fun and exciting. Um, I think it's a fun rivalry. I mean, the, the Bills have, in my opinion, the second-best cornerback in the league uh, in Tredavious White. They have a really exciting guy under center, uh, albeit sometimes uh, dangerously exciting and, and maybe makes uh, Bills fans want to pull out their hair if you watch the playoff game. But um, I think the Bills have a shot. They have a legit shot to win the division, um, and it's going to be between the Patriots uh, and them in terms of uh, how this thing shakes out. And I think everybody else in the division should be thrilled about the Jets trading away Jamal Adams, uh, a guy who I think probably was the second best defensive player in the division at the time, if not the third or fourth. Um, so Patriots got to be thrilled. Bill's got to be thrilled as well. And it's just going to be who can come out on top in those two games. And I think uh, the head-to-head matchups are going to be super exciting and fun to watch. So I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to this this year's AFC East. Can I tell you something? When you said cornerback, I thought you said quarterback. And I was <laughs> the look of horror on my face before you said Tredavious White. I was like, are you serious? Oh, my God. Uh, but uh, thankfully, that's not what you're talking about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with the Jets, it is interesting because in the interim, they are worse, unfortunately. that You have to admit that even if they did win the trade, those first-round picks aren't going to come in until next year. And then, you know, those guys, if they make, they might make an impact their rookie year, but they might take until year two to really blossom. So this is, you know, a future play for the Jets. And, and it, it's fine because they, they got a pretty good safety back in return, and they might still be okay, but they're not going to be as good as they were going to be. I will say, though, Sam Darnold obviously dealt with mono early in the season. He came back for a few games, struggled, but they ended the season six and two. You know, once, and you can maybe presume that was once Darnold was fully back to, you know, full health. And, you know, that's a little bit speculative, but at the same time, you look at how they finished that season after, you know, they, they get knocked off the course there. And, you know, maybe there's also a spite play here. You know, maybe they're playing for, you know, the fact that they want to prove Jamal Adams wrong and everything like that. And maybe the team kind of rallies around that. I don't know, but there's still a lot of talent there with Bell. Anunwa has played well for them when he's been on the field. Crowder as well. You know, I know they lost Robbie Anderson, but the, those two guys have really 
driven the offense for them recently. So I, I still am interested in what the Jets can do. I don't know if they're going to really compete for the, the division. A lot's going to depend on Darnold and how good he really is. And I think this is kind of the year for him to prove that. He, You know, last year you got a pass because you were sick and, and whatever else. But now it's your time to show, all right, you were a guy that was touted as this franchise quarterback, was supposed to be the number one pick, and it ultimately wasn't, but was like supposed to be the guy at USC. And, you know, now, you know, you finally have a stage to prove yourself. You've been in the office for a few years. You have familiar weapons there. You know, you have elite weapons in Le'Veon Bell, especially pass catching out of the backfield. So go show us what you can do. So I think this is this is big in that regard, and I'm interested to see what happens there. Um, and, you know, it's, I, if I can just touch on Jamal Adams real quickly again, is just I'm interested to see what it's like for Seattle because a lot of people are blaming Seattle, a lot of like the, the inside football guys about the fact that the difference in play between McDougal and Adams wasn't huge last year. And at the same time, I would say Seattle's always had these great safeties. Do you think there's something there in that, you know, team that they're able to elevate safeties to even a higher level, whether it's Pete Carroll or something else like They've had. I, I do wonder if they can elevate Jamal Adams even to that next level. So he's unquestioned best safety in the league, and that's just something I'm interested in seeing. But uh, regardless of that, getting back to the division, I do think you're right. The Bills are at the top there, but you know the Dolphins have gotten better. I think the Jets have uh, you know maybe gotten a little bit worse, but I still think they can be pretty good because last year you know we kind of went off course for them, like I said, and they can still be competitive. I think the division is probably going to be the best we've seen it in quite some time. I think there's a lot of talent there. And I think there's a chance that one of these teams, probably the Bills, but maybe one of the other ones, can emerge. And for the Dolphins, it really all depends on, I think, if Tua plays or not. And I don't know that he's ready to, but I think that really for them, they have a good amount of talent there, but they need a good quarterback if that team is really going to compete. And I think that would mean Tua coming in and being like already really, really good uh, day one or, or at least week two or three. Um, so, But I, I, I'm interested. I think I wouldn't rule out all of these teams seriously being competitive this season. And I think that's the first time you might have said that about the AFC East in a long time. Yeah, I think, well, the future of the AFC East is really bright. Uh, what happens with the Patriots remains to be seen. Um, but you have some really good young quarterbacks that will be fun to watch develop and see what they can do uh, between Tua and Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and, you know, some combination of Jarrett Stidham and Cam Newton. Uh, it's going to be a fun division. It'll be fun to see how it plays out in the next five years or so. All right, Tucker, thank you for joining us again, guys. You can follow Tucker on Twitter at Tucker underscore TNL. Once again, go subscribe to his podcast, Stats Over Storylines. And Tucker, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at KJVS. Follow the pond on Twitter at Apple Get Smart Pod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week.